spoken lately. I haven't thought about flying for a long time. I haven't dreamed of that moment when I was alone above the clouds for a long time. I haven't dreamed of waking up in a room surrounded in blue and green grass more years than I could dream of memory. I haven't walked back into the past or scratched on the doors of my origins, where it all came from, since I held up that cape for the last time. Return to Kent Town 10th year anniversary edition is a revised version of Ambien's first poetry book. The book can be purchased from Amazon and it contains numerous additional material. Spoken Hi, it's Andian from Spoken Label. A spoken Label was originally set up at the beginning of 2016 and records show it started off really as a one-off podcast chatting to writers, poets and artists. Over time, it became monthly, then weekly and occasionally nowadays it goes on that to a more regular basis. To date, I've done over 330 sessions and I'm always looking for new poets, writers, artists, singer-songwriters, general interesting creative people to come onto the podcast. You can find this on all the usual networks over Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Podbay and dozens of others. But it does have a central database of spoken label, which is all one word, dot bandcamp.com. Obviously now, to help me with the running costs of this podcast, I'm always grateful for any kind of donation to assist me with it. You can either do the donation through the Bandcamp page by putting in a fee to download one of the free podcasts, or send it over to my PayPal to aen1mpo at yahoo.co.uk. My email address again is aen1mpo at yahoo.co.uk. Enjoy the podcast. Take care. Bye. Spoken Label. Hi guys, Andy N, Spoken Label, back in the house. Yes, now, this is a special Spoken Label session, a very special Spoken Label session, because it's actually recorded live when we actually did on Monday the 28th of November, a special Spoken Label session live, helping the fantastic Richard Harris launch his second poetry collection, Iconic Tattoo. Support, obviously, was myself reading a couple of pieces out to start the session off, and Amanda Nicholson, my wife, obviously doing a full set as well before Richard's. The recording today actually includes the full 28-minute set that Richard did for this if you wish to obviously hear all the questions and answers that followed it, that went on for another half an hour or so afterwards, check out the YouTube page because it gives you much more of the feel for it, really. But I wanted to put this out as a special extra episode so you can actually get the feel of Richard's full audio live set. Also, following in the next couple of weeks will be Amanda's live set and myself's. But to begin with, enjoy the wonderful Richard Harris. Spoken later. Brilliant, thanks Richard. Okay, right. Now you've heard the man himself, obviously. Me and Amanda are 
done our parts now. I'm going to bring Richard onto the stage. Now, Richard's bio, I'm going to read all his bio out now and make him blush endlessly with this one. Now, Richard Harris, not to be confused with the Bishop of Oxford. I can't imagine he was the Bishop, Bishop of Oxford, Richard, actually. Yeah, but he's got the same name with the E in the end, you see. So. <laughs> I, know, I know, I know. And when I put my first video on YouTube, there was something like 25,000 of his speeches put there by <laughs> adoring ladies, so you couldn't find it. That's why I got my why my YouTube channel is called RC Poems, because it just got mixed <laughs> up with him. And that was before you... I did the Harry Potter guy, Richard Harris, into it, and there were six zillion clips of him, you know. <laughs> okay, right, Richard, let me obviously introduce you, okay, and then we'll let, we'll let you read your piece for us. Now, Richard Harris, not to be confused with the Bishop of Oxford, is a well-known spoken word artist with a considerable following on YouTube. He performs mainly in the north of England, but concentrates on East Yorkshire, Hull, and the surrounding area. One of his first poems, Pirate Dizzy, was written for his granddaughter, and therefore he began writing and performing at folk clubs and pubs. In addition to several years at the Hull Freedom Festival, he has been a popular feature on the Findlay Folk Festival, Cottingham Springboard and venues in Leeds, Harrogate, York and Wakefield. Richard's historical poems have been published in American journals and his war poems are read in, oh, but that's right, Richard, yipes, is it? 100 years after the first shot in the Battle of Bellywan in World War I. He was also a significant contributor to the Saboteur Project Haunt, which has obviously been nominated for that. Richard is often known as the Bard of Wivesey or the Axis Poet of Hull, having written for the Action for Hull group, the Wilberforce Society, and supported campaigns saying Lord Lyon Building and Beverly Gate, and has two poems, like I said before to you, which are part of the Haunt Project, been Sabotard nominated. Right, everybody, I want you all to give it to Richard Harris, please. Take it away, Richard. Thank you very much. I think most people call it wipers, um, but um, and that's, the, that's Mancunian pronunciation for you. And the battle is belly war d. But anyway, uh, uh, there you go. Um, well, um, uh, sadly, uh, my publisher Rose Drew is, is poorly tonight, so she can't come. But on the back of these two books, she's put these words, and they're her words, not mine. They say serious, humorous, heartfelt transformative, funny and emotional. So I intend to try and be those things. Um, and I'm going to start with, uh, from my, I'm basically doing things from my iconic tattoo, my second book. Um, <clears throat> and the first one I'm going to do is quite a recent one. Uh, at the editing stage, I added some newer poems in because I'd compiled the book a, a while ago and I felt I wanted to have things that represented me, me now. Um, and this is beautiful me. I am so lucky me. I'm so attractive, sexy, and I am now 70. Still have that great appeal. I know this must be so, because on Facebook so often I have young, beautiful, and often bare-breasted women asking to be my friend. And it's all because of my great looks and sex appeal. They tell me so. They say they want, yes, they want to have sex with me. Yes, amazing. At first, it was mainly from Asia, but now it's from everywhere. They tell me they want to meet me. All it will take is for me to send the money for the flight or even just my bank details. I must have greatly improved with age as I did not have this problem in my 20s, women crawling over me to find my body. 
And it's not just my body thereafter. They've seen my kind eyes, looked into them and seen my generous soul. They've had their villages destroyed by hurricane or by volcanic eruptions. And they know I will pay. They just know to rebuild them. They've Googled sexy man. Now, not being totally stupid, nor yet having dementia, I block the bastards. Not only will they be thieves after Makash, but they might also be male, 80, syphilitic and call Stan. Of course, things can go wrong, as a friend got such a friend request from a woman he did not know, pretty and smiling, so blocking her seemed to be the way to go. Turns out it was his stepsister's daughter, who he'd not seen for years. Whoops, now if only he was not so damned attractive too. Um, and um, it, it's just amazing what gets through on Facebook. Um, now, people keep asking me why um, <clears throat> it's called Iconic Tattoo, and I have two poems about tattoos, and I'll explain later in the questions and answers why they were chosen. This is Iconic Tattoo. A young man, a physio, at the hospital helping me after hip replacement. Lots of extraordinary tattoos, Beautiful, expensive, striking indeed. On his right inner arm, a large image from wrist to elbow. A beautiful lady, I looked twice, seemed familiar. An iconic image of Twiggy in Piero costume from the Boyfriend film. I thought, well, it couldn't be, could it? I mean, he was in his 20s. He'd not know who Twiggy was, would he? So being me, I asked who it was some bird from the 60s so twiggy it was dominating his arm and he'd never heard of her i told him about her recent fame in, as the stylish matron in the mns ads how strange but wonderful that such an iconic image survives to be worn with pride and the young man well he was interested and went off home to google twiggy then came a surprise as the icon in the new year became a dame wonder if my physio knows the tattoo i'm not sad anymore said the plaque held by the cute cartoon bird tattooed on the young man's arm i never know whether it's rude and intrusive to read messages tattooed on people's bodies but if they don't want you to read them the the, the words and illustrations, why have them put there so prominently in such bright colours and large letters? Being me, of course, I asked him why it was there. Oh, I'm in a band, and it's one of my songs, was the reply. And knowing the people I know, that made perfect sense. Now, where should I put Awakening, an iconic tattoo? Um, and um, they were both just, you know, both of them started with me saying, what's that? And, and the guy saying, it's a tattoo. I thought, well, I know that. I don't need to need to be asked that, you know. Now, some years ago, uh, I'd had an extremely bad time at work uh, and had a, a severe depressive illness. I was really poorly. Um, and I was sort of shunted back to an old job I used to be in. And I had a friend, Liz, who worked there, and I did expect her to support me. And I found this amazing band of young women, uh, five or six of them, who all rallied round this old guy. And one of them is Naomi, who is sat here tonight. Um, and thank you, Naomi. And 
pass my everlasting thanks to all the rest of them. You know who they are. Um, and um, we're still friends on Facebook. And this is Jennifer, who I last saw when I pushed her in a pram. Um, <laughs> and alarm Naomi. She must have been very new because um, she got all panicky because I was 100 yards ahead or something, you know. Um, but it was a delight. And it's lovely to see you both tonight. And uh, Naomi wrote... Uh, published this story on Facebook, and it's a true story uh, that, that involves her and Jennifer. And I started performing it to kids, and I do the Hornsey Gala uh, every year. And uh, one day I performed this poem to lots of kids, but the parents were there, and the parents loved it even more than the children did. So it's now I've started performing it as an adult poem. And I think it... it Anyone who's ever babysat or had a grandchild or a child uh, or is an auntie or uncle can relate to this. And this is Bedtime Accident. Now sweet Jennifer went to bed. Good night, mummy, to Naomi, she said. Went straight to sleep in slumberland so deep, then woke with a start and with a thudding heart felt something nasty all over her. She wanted her mummy near. So she called out and did shout, there's something all over me. It's all brown and nasty, I can see. Naomi went fast to her room. She saw Jennifer was filled with gloom. She thought it was sickness or worse. Did smile and refused to curse her. She mopped it away and Jennifer just wanted to lay and go back to sleep ever so deep. The problem now was Mr Tickle her toy, that Jennifer cuddled with joy. He was so old it would be bold to put him in a washing machine, which would destroy him and be mean. Then Naomi saw wrappers of gold covered in brown mess, not cold and not gold, and she realised Grandma's treat of chocolate cho coins, a sort of sweet, had been taken to bed by mistake and had melted into a chocolate lake. So Jennifer had not been ill at all, and only into liquid chocolate did fall. Mr. Tickled when wash was good as new, and Naomi was relieved and sighed, phew. <laughs> and I, it had originally been called Chocolate Lake, which gave away the um, ending, didn't it? So we called it Bedtime Accident. Um, and I've performed it to lot of people, and the kids love it, and so uh, do the... Um, uh adults so that was uh one of the reasons why i chose it as special for this book um and now i'm going to do a serious one it doesn't sound like it's a serious one it's been turned into an amazing rock song a real roaring anthem by a good friend of mine called adam davison who's in various bands the charm offensive and all sorts of other things who are big in hull um, and it's all called we all know a Pinocchio. And it sounds like it's a cute poem, but it's not. We all know one tells lies, but not for fun. Lie through their teeth, no rhyme or reason. But all the time so wearying. If they're in your life, could not cope if it was the wife. There are some where if I asked the time or what it's like outdoors, I would pause and check for they lie without cause in every respect, but without respect for you. Most folk lie to get out of trouble or get someone else into crap or to gain reward or promotion to shift blame elsewhere. A Pinocchio lies for no reason. 
could be because they want to be liked. They don't know that if they did not invent stories and bull themselves up all the time, that they might be liked for themselves. It's so tiring, checking and disbelieving all the time that really pisses me off. Don't know why they're like this, but they are. And it's not fine. Not all the time. So wearying. Um, and then uh, one or two of you may have um, been aware that I have a mild fondness for Petula Clark. Um, you're all meant to laugh now. Yes. And, and um, uh, I wrote this um, about downtown, not about Petula. And it's not about the story of the song. It's not about Tony Hatch writing. It's not about Petula singing it. It's taking the person, the voice in that song and applying it to me. And it was quite difficult to write. It was, well, it was very difficult to write. I had uh, about eight attempts at it until I got it in a way that I felt was good. And this is called Inspired by Downtown. And hopefully all of you will know something about that song. Loneliness was mine, had left home while being thrown out. Plenty of worries, college in the daytime, work at night to pay bills. No help or support from anywhere. So just an empty bedsit to return to. No phone, so isolated. A record player on the floor. No plug on. Just bare wires into socket, a fawn and red danset. Albums of Melanie, Joni, Aretha, Motown and especially Petula. And I was so alone, I played them all and I realised that forget all my troubles and cares. I should go into town and meet folk there. I knew a place in Harrogate on Montpellier. It was a cellar bar. Can't remember the name. Plenty of music. No boss and over, but did hear the traffic on the way. Lights outside in the trees, but not, not neon, but bright enough for me. There was music in beer, friendly faces and folk to talk to. I did not need to be alone. I was indeed downtown. Had taken Petula's advice, had found a place to go. go. It was indeed a friendly, safe place. And um, it's the song became very special to me. I mean, they were all special to me, but... Um, that one really is something I almost live by. Now, um, I've been asked by Andy if I'll do this one. So uh, here we go. I've got a music section in the book. Um, there is a Petula one, but it's a comedy. Um, but um, this, um, and I nearly got a chance to be on the Tina Turner, Turner documentary recently. They've just done one and they wanted people to talk about seeing Tina as a young person. Um, and sadly, the filming day was the same day for my second cataract. So, you know, you, uh, and I've waited three years for the cataract. So uh, it, it was, uh, it would have been fab to be in that, on that documentary and really would have helped sell the book. But um, never mind. Um, the cataract was more important. Tina Turner concert, 1960s. It was in the 60s. Quite early on in my memory, had music in my head, still do. I saved my pocket money for records, vinyl records, and to see concerts live. I was about 14. 
Love soul music so much into sleepy Harrogate town came a review. I can Tina Turner with the Iquettes. I knew I idolised you and a fool in love. Don't remember if Riverdeep had arrived then or not. It's a funny thing, the memory. I was used to sweet, calm English singers who stood in a spotlight and sang their song straight. Ike was stunning, brilliant, majestic with his guitar. The Ikehead stormed on and dazzled, chanting away. Then Tina exploded on stage, prancing and dancing, skimpy clothing like I had never seen before. The only time I'd seen them was on a Flintstone woman in a cartoon of fun, but this was not fun. This was the sexiest thing I'd ever seen. And that long black hair, long below her waist, was flying around everywhere. She was a dancer, a rhythmic athlete, a gymnast indeed. Lights coloured the stage. Explosions of mist at her feet. I was stunned. She sang her heart out, entranced us. Everyone went wild. I left the concert at the good old Harrogate Royal Hall, speechless. Yes, me? Speechless. I could just not speak. I've seen many great artists in the years since then, but Tina Polak's me in a way that no other has since. They return twice more, as I recollect, each time as great. By then I had bought the albums and I knew what to expect. That first concert is in my memory and the emotions I felt stun me still. Um, and um, she was she was just amazing. I remember walking across the Strait Harrogate like a goldfish go, <laughs> you know. Um, so um, yes, and I've just got a little one. Um, the book is dedicated to four friends um, who, unfortunately, never reached twenty one. So um, I um, decided to remember them in this book and I didn't want to write a poem about all four of them um, because I thought that would be too depressive. But there is this is a true story, two boys, and it's dedicated to Barry Dale. Two boys played in the street, had fun, laid a foundation stone for a new church, paused with their trowels in the sun. Went to school together, had fun, grew older, off to senior school at 14. One went on the rugby pitch, ran, tackled, collapsed, died. Had a heart condition that no one knew about. He never made 21, had no more fun. I am 70, I am the other boy. The church is now weathered and old, as I am. I've had so much fun. That's not fair. So why did I survive? And um, I think it's important to remember them and keep their names alive. Um, and then we come to one that I really do not need to read because um, I'm asked to do it everywhere I go. Everywhere I go. And I've done it so many times. Uh, I give up if I have to use a book for it. Um, and in the first book, Awakening, um, 
I only put one comedy because a lot of my comedy involves me pulling faces and my voice and waving my hands and things like that. And so um, I wasn't sure whether or not it would work on the written page. And it did. I got so much um, love and great um, comments back about the, the funny poem, which is called Eileen and Her Memory. Um, and um, so here we have good intentions. And it's again about Eileen. Uh, I know my woman well. I'm able to buy for her just swell. I know what jewellery she likes. That's courage. You say, yikes. So yesterday I went into town and I did not buy a gown. No, I saw a, a blouse and a stole that matched. And it is my goal to try and please my beloved wife and be thoughtful throughout life. So I did what many men have not got the courage to do. But I looked at the sizes and I knew they'd fit my beloved one. So I did what I knew I should have done. I went inside that charity shop and did buy both of these great tops. Now, this was uh, a great inconvenience to me as I now have enough money to buy the veg for tea. In fact, I'd have to make a second trip to the shop to get enough fresh food to chops that we could have a tea that was good. But this I was quite prepared to do, looking forward to the praise and the appreciation that I was due. I got home proudly and did display them proudly. She to, to me did say, oh my, just why did you buy these tops? They're both complete flops. That You didn't should not have paid cash. That was rather daft and rash. Go on, tell me why, said I with a sigh. Well, last Friday, I donated them not wanting to wear them again. You were with me that day when I gave them away, but last but not least of all, you have the gall to not have noticed I, and again she did sigh, have been wearing them for the past four years. Honestly, you could drive me to tears. All I could say was, oops, and wow, I kind of remember them now. Now, Clint will tell you that there's a, um, a little place near here called Swanland, which is extremely uh, posh. Um, and I was invited to the Swanland Festival and when that poem was very new. And um, I performed various poems and then came to that one. And everyone had come in their Daimlers and Porsches and Jags and things like that. And when it got to the charity shop line, they stopped me for 25 seconds roaring with laughter because either they'd never been in a cherish shop or had certainly never met anyone who admitted going into one. Um, and um, it was very difficult because you had to remember where you were in the poem and the rhythm of it. Um, at the end, uh, quite a short man came up to me with an Armani suit and a Valentino tie and said, you know your story about the charity shop? And I said, yes. He said, I have one that's extremely similar. And I said, oh, do you? He said, yes. A spent £847 buying my wife a Hermes handbag and she didn't like it. And I said, well, that's remarkably similar to my four quid and carrots, you know, but um, there you go. So that's almost become part of the poem. Um, then I'm going... Uh, I've just got I've got a, a serious one and I need to issue a flash warning because this could be distressing. Um, it does involve some nasty things. It's a serious one. So if you want to not listen to this because you feel that it would upset you, please, please don't. Um, and it's called George Stinney. Um, and... Um, It's a true story, and 
when uh, George Floyd was murdered in America, um, as so many people did, I Googled Black Lives Matters and things like that, and I found this story, and I was just blown. My mind was shattered. You know, I just couldn't comprehend it, and then I had to write it. And sometimes uh, when the serious subject takes you over, uh, you have to write it. You you might make the decision. You, uh, I, I, I wrote a poem about male breast cancer and I made a conscious decision not to write it and then it gestated itself in my head. So I had to. Um, and that was with this. In 1944, which seems so long ago, but it is within my sister's lifetime and just eight years before I was born, in America, the land of the free, a 14-year-old black boy was executed for the murder of two little girls. He was placed in the electric chair, had to be seated on a large Bible used as a booster seat. He was so small. The girls were battered to death. Their bodies were dumped in a ditch. The boy was George Stinney. He had spoken to them that day as they passed his house. He directed them to where they could pick certain flowers. That is all that was proven. He was arrested and taken from his parents, allowed no solicitor, even though the Sixth Amendment guarantees him one, allowed no visits from his family. They could not agree on the description of the murder weapon as, and there was no blood found on George. At the trial, his counsel was a white politician campaigning for election in a town full of hatred where lynching was threatened. He, he cross-examined no one. George was alibi by his sister, which they still swear is the truth. Yes, this is so close in time that some of the witnesses are still alive. The trial, just 81 days after the murders, lasted one and a half hours. The all-white jury were out 10 minutes. 1,000 whites packed the courtroom, not one black person allowed in. George was not allowed to see his parents until after his conviction in America, the land of the free. At the trial, they allowed discussion of rape and even necrophilia, even though post-mortems pronounced the girls to be virgins. The trial papers have disappeared, as has an alleged confession. One made by a 14-year-old boy deprived of contact with parents or counsel. They killed him with a too-large hood that allowed the tears flowing to be seen. His dad was allowed to approach him and speak to him just before he died. The only family contact he had had since his arrest. This was in 1944 in America. He was buried in an unmarked grave. 70 years later, the conviction was overturned for lack of evidence and for being tainted with racism. They never found the murder weapons. How could a child hide metal objects thoroughly? He could not. A real murderer ran free while they murdered another child. This was in America. George died because he was black. If anyone can't comprehend why black lives matters, why we need to take the knee, then they should research George Stinney. No one says other lives do not matter. What they say in America in particular there is good reason to fear your early death if you are black. And that should never have been and can no longer be.
And I'm afraid usually I finish my set with that because I don't feel I can follow that. Um, and um, in fact, at Away With Words In Hull, I've even wandered off stage without waving my books because I, I normally make a joke out of it and say, do you know I've got a book? Um, and they all... Um, uh, they all... Um, uh, laugh and then hopefully buy a book uh, because they're very good at these events um, anyway so that's me really and uh, then I, I can do another couple of poems during the course of the um, question and answers and let's see what you have asked me Spock, mate. <laughs> 